For those of you who are visiting uh, with your families for the incredible dedications that just happened, I uh, got to see that, participate in that. Welcome. I want to introduce myself. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we as a body, just again, for those parents that are still here and, and did the mad rush, right? Their child is now dedicated and they did the mad rush to get them over into Kid Zone so they actually come back in here. You saw parents exchanging hands up here, just trying to hold it together. Can we give those families just a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me when I watch uh, th this happen in our church because it brings so many memories back to me as a, uh, as a, as a father who's trying to hold it all together and um, generally failing miserably. Is that fair? Guys, I should be seeing some heads nodding right now. Um, and it's, 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 God gave me a story that I didn't even correlate until last night as I'm watching these dedications. God gave me a story to open us up today. So I want you to, um, to just sit in for a second. And um, if you're a parent, great. If you're not a parent or, or you want to be a parent someday, if you've been a parent but you're not, like, I think there's a lot of relatability in this one. I, I hope there is anyway. So here, here's the deal. We were going through a season, this was a lot of years ago, my family was going through a season where uh, we were strained to the max for time. And our kids were little, all four of them. And I, I recognized slowly, because sometimes I've got a pretty thick skull. I recognized that over the course of about a month, I don't think that my wife had been away from our kids for more than like two minutes in a month's time. This is a dreadful scenario. It took me too long to recognize it. I was really busy in that season. I was late nights doing all kinds of different things, trying to, trying to hold the, the, the strings together. And I decided that I would offer her some time away. Like, you know, I'm going to do the good father bit, the things she needs me to do, the good husband bit. I'm going to take the kids and I can, I can make this happen. I literally wrote down to open up my story. I wrote uh, this line. Once there was a father who thought he could handle the kids without his wife. <laughs> and so I, I went to her and I said, I said, honey, I want all Sunday afternoon, it can be yours. Go, go get coffee, go get a spa, whatever you can do on a Sunday afternoon. I should have thought about that ahead of time. It wasn't the greatest moment to give her. And she sort of, she needed it so bad that she accepted it. But here's what she responded. She said, you know what? I do need to get groceries. So I'll go get groceries. And I was like, at least get coffee, call a friend. You know, I don't know, just enjoy the time. I'm, I've got these kids. So here's what happened. She, she got in the van and I watched her pull out and I was literally watching her taillights on the road when disaster ensued. <laughs> that quick, this is, this is all true. Everything I'm about to relate to you is true. Some of it's hard to believe. And I've got it at the same moment that she is like driving away. I hear this scream and you, you've heard it if you're a parent, this blood curdling, spine chilling, hair raising, like there is something 
dreadful to the point of death actually happening. And it cut through the walls of our house. It was from outside cutting inside. So I knew this was the big time. And my daughter, Grace, came tearing out of our back pasture with this tall grass, holding her eye and just in absolute distress through the door. Dad, dad, my eye, something's in my eye, dad, please help me, please. And I said, well, okay, you, you know, I don't know, a little dust got in her eye, a blade of grass scratched her eye. No, no, dad. A cricket jumped in my eye and it's in there now. It's inconceivable. Inconceivable. That can't happen. Crickets don't jump in people's eye and actually live in their eye. That, that doesn't happen. But I'm, I got this, right? I got this. So I'm Dr. Dad. I pick her up, literally, because she is, you know, they grow extra arms. They, they're like octopus when there's something wrong. And you can't actually get in. Also, I should tell you, I can handle everything about the human body. Every, all the blood and all the other issuances of the human body that happen as a parent, except the eyeball. The eyeball freaks me out. There is a whole lot going on there. So I lift her up. I put her on our countertop, like, you know, a doctor's table. And I go in, like, to, to help. And, you know, and she's screaming. And I'm looking. And there just doesn't seem to be anything visible there. And I'm like, it just was an abrasion. It probably jumped in and it scratched. And as I'm working to reason with this child, who's completely unreasonable, um, a scream of the same magnitude as before... <laughs> occurred over in the living room. I had another one of my children decided to use, we'll say child number two's arm, like an old pump action, you know, well pump. And I walked in and it took me 30 seconds as Dr. Dad to assess a broken clavicle, my other child. I, I had my phone and I was like... So I did as I'm, uh, I'm going to get you situated. And as I'm walking back into the kitchen, I'm like, I think I made 15 minutes. Has it been 15 minutes? <laughs> and I call my wife and I'm like, babe, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, one child broke their collarbone. The other child has lifelong damage to their eye right now. Some of you who don't have kids yet, but I know you're married and thinking about kids, the, the looks of horror on your faces right now. So, so I call her and she's like, honey, I just got to the grocery store. Can I just get the groceries and come home? I said, no, no. This is, this is DEFCON 5 going on right now. Can you come home? I'm sorry. I can't handle this. So she turns around. She doesn't even get out of the van to get groceries and she's coming home. I go back in. Sweetheart, I really think it's just an abrasion. She's off the doctor's table, sitting in the corner by the cupboard. And she's like, Dad, I know you don't believe me. I know you don't. But I am telling you, I can feel it moving in there. <laughs> I, 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 where? Oh, it's like in the back. It's in the back. I pick her back up. I put her, screams coming from the other room. I don't care. I don't care anymore. <laughs> and I go in and I'm like, we're going to get this. And you know how kids are like, move your eye left. They move their whole head left. 
follow my finger. They follow it the wrong way. Like I am doing everything I know. I've got the tools out even. I don't even know what tools you use on the eye, but I pry her eyelid open and I am literally ready to say, there's nothing in there. I know it feels bad, there's nothing. And, and then I, with one more desperate attempt, I'm like, watch my finger and do not stop watching. Like follow it all the way. And I go across her nose and she rips her, her eye across her nose and out of the outside corner of her eye comes a cricket with the spiny legs and everything. And I am literally like, oh, I mean, you know, this, I'm, I'm super dead. This becomes a hook. I'm like, grab it. And I pinch the life out of it. And I'm like, you probably destroyed my dog. And, but I gotta be calm and cool and collect for my baby girl who's like, oh, it feels so much better. Oh, dad, did, did you get it? I got, I got, I got, I got it. And I'm like sitting down and I'm not kidding. My wife walked through the door five minutes later. She's like, so you couldn't do 15 minutes. <laughs> Don't talk to me. Here, here's the deal as we get started today. I had this idea. I had thoughts and visions that my daughter's eye, like her optic nerve in the back was being sawed by the spiny legs of a cricket. Like I really was mortified about the possibility of what was going on with her physical vision because physical vision is such a big deal to our lives. Like I've got a broken collarbone in the other room. That's, that's sad, but it'll heal. It, it'll heal. If, if, if cricket saws optic nerve in half, we've got major lifelong problems. Physical vision is a huge deal. And as we move into the story that we are in, in signs and wonders today, I want you to be thinking about how, how critical our vision is, how important and it's terrifying and it was terrifying and it's terrible and it was terrible as this situation was with my daughter, the, the primary importance of our physical vision is nowhere even close, follower of Jesus, as the spiritual vision and eyesight that God wants you to have. It's not even in the same playing field. And I want you to write this down as we get started into this story with Elisha. I want you to write spiritual sight, vision with the eyes of your heart is 10,000 times more important than physical vision. That's what we're gonna see in the story that we're moving into. And, and as we start this, I wanna give you a quick reminder. We're in the 10th week of Signs and Wonders. And I'm not yet sure we've even said this throughout the series. Elisha is literally the greatest prophet in the entirety of the Old Testament. He, he learned from Elijah and he did twice the number of miracles that Elisha did. And Elisha is given to us in these stories through kings as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. That's how big a deal each one of these stories are. They're there to give us an ability to see what Jesus is going to do. Everything Elisha does in shadow, everything, Jesus would later fulfill in substance for us. His name, Elisha's name, literally means God saves 
Eli is God and Shah is saves. The entire ministry of this guy was to put on display for us the unique saving and redeeming power of our God for us. So as we get started, I want you to have these constructs in your mind as we dive into this story. It is a fascinating and fabulous story. Second Kings chapter six, we're going to start in verse eight, get out your device and jump on your Bible app and follow along. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was always a step ahead of the Arameans. This enraged the king of Aram, naturally, right? He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's the mole? Who is telling the other team all of our playbook and secrets? Who is revealing information? Guys, I've got my closest with me right now, my secret, the, the people that know in secret what I do. You need to, some, we're going to find them all. We're going to figure out who it is that's sharing things that are giving Israel a secret weapon and ability to know what's going on. And one brave soul, an officer said, none of us, my Lord, the king, none of us, but Elisha, the prophet who is in, real, is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Ooh -hoo. Ooh -hoo. Go, the king said, you bet he did. Go, find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Listen, I just wanna accentuate from these verses one thing, the bedroom. Do you ever feel like Jesus is checking up on your bedroom behavior? Okay. I will talk to people in counseling as a pastor, and we'll just get into different conversations. We'll get into places in their life, painful places in their life. And we'll be, we'll be in a session, and one spouse or another will literally make this kind of, well, they'll, they'll sit back surprised, and they'll turn and they'll look at, 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 their, at their spouse, and they'll say, did you, did you tell them about that going on in our marriage? Did you, did you disclose that? And they'll say, no, no, I didn't, I didn't say anything. And here's the deal. Jesus knows the most intimate places of your life. He's in those most secret of secret places. And in the case of Elisha, Elisha doesn't have, he's not the original NSA, right? He doesn't have tech gadgets and gizmos. He doesn't have the king of Aram's bedroom bugged. He is literally seeing with spiritual eyes, listening with spiritual ears to what God is doing. And because of that, he is Israel's secret weapon protecting him to the left and to the right. It's really interesting. One of the things that people would say of Jesus when Jesus came is, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done, who knew me 
backwards and forwards. That's, that's spiritual life. Some of you will come up after a message on a weekend and you'll say, are you reading my mail? How did you know that about my life? I didn't, I didn't know that specifically. Jason or John didn't know that specifically. But God gives because he is superintending your life as a follower of him. He gives insight into what is going on in your everyday existence, his spiritual eyesight. The story goes on. When the servant, the man of God, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, I love it. This story just gets better. And his response, listen to his response. Oh, no, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked. Now listen, the servant in the story represents the believer, represents us in this room. That's who the story is. But it's the unbelief of the believer that we first see. It's the struggle with the exclusivity of physical eyes and the inability to put on spiritual insight or eyesight. This, this is what's going on here. Don't miss this. This is not, oh no, I got up. And, you know, things were a little different. No. This is, oh, no. Oh, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Have you ever gone to bed and all was right with the world, but when you woke up, everything was wrong in the world? If you've lived through the last 18 months, you've gone to bed and things were good and you woke up the next morning and things, it was like a giant, took your house and shook it upside down. If you've gone through the last 18 months at all, you know what this servant is experiencing when he is like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I went to bed. We were secure in Dothan. I served the most powerful person in all of Israel. Things were good. I got lots of accolades and praise. I was happy with the things that, that, that were. I loved my life. That's how I went to bed. And I woke up and oh, no. No, no, this is a major problem. And I'm counting what I got on my team and it's me and it's that old geezer back there and he doesn't fight very well. I just thought about a few things that are oh no's for us. How, parents, again, parents in the room, how many of you had an oh no when you found out how long school was gonna be canceled? Somebody started clapping. More of you would if you're honest. People getting close to retirement with your 401ks. <laughs> we heard groans in the room. Now, some of you, your 401ks are coming back and they're doing well, but do you remember what it was like when you woke up and you looked at your 401k that you've worked your life? It's your retirement. You've worked so hard for that. And the 401k you went to bed to was not the 401k you woke up to. How about, how about medical workers who just keep working, just keep working through undulations, ups and downs. There's gonna be a surge, there's no surge. There's gonna be a surge, the surge is real and it's like code red. 
There's not enough people to go around. There's not enough people to serve those that are hurting and need healing. I don't know what to do when I get up and try to go to work. How about waking up? Business owners waking up when you watched your workforce dwindle to code, I'll I'll call it code brown, right? It's oh crap. What What do I do? Oh no, what shall we do? The servant woke up to a different world than he went to sleep in. And that is relatable for us with our physical eyes, every one of us. How about waking up empty because someone died that left a massive hole in your life? Or waking up without a steady job that you have held that has been secure for the past 10 years? This week, I talked to several different people who woke up to a friendship they utterly depended on, to a, to a person that was so close to them, they were closer than a brother or a sister, and that person completely betrayed them. This week, what, what do we do? What, what do we do? What shall we do, the servant said. This question is so human, and I want to pay close attention to what Elisha says and his response. Listen to what he says when we are confronted and confounded by insurmountable problems that we don't know what to do with. Check out the prophet, the voice of the Lord. Verse 16 says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Don't be afraid. We're going to unpack that for just a second. This voice of the Lord, don't. I want to focus on just don't. What did, the, what did the servant ask? What shall we do in the panic, in the crisis? What do we do? What can we do now? What action can we take? Look, 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 man, we got to do something. Look at the army bristling around us. What do we do? The prophet says, Don't. It's his first statement. If you're trying to gain spiritual eyesight to see the way God sees, you need to change the first question to what will I not do? And there's a couple here that I want to unpack. We don't, church, we don't live out of fear. We don't live out of fear. We will feel fear or disappointment or frustration because we're human, but I won't live out of fear. In other words, I'm gonna walk into a room and I know there's fear in the room. There's going to be fear there, but, but living out of fear is to allow fear to dictate my actions. It's to allow fear to tell me what I'm gonna do next. It's, it's like if fear were a book in the room and I walk in the room, I can be aware that it's there. And I see that it's there with my physical eyes. But to walk over and stand on the book and live out of the book is to paralyze you and quite frankly continue to blind you to the spiritual eyesight that God wants to give you in these moments. We're not going to live out of fear. A second thing we don't do, we don't react by letting our emotions have the driver's seat and the steering wheel. They make really good Uh, dashboard indicators. They really do. That's why God gave us emotion. It it allows us to know there is an issue. There is something we need to deal with, but they make terrible directional beacons. If, If you allow emotion to get into the driver's seat and have control of the steering wheel, that's when things go south in a hurry. We, We don't allow our emotions 
the driver's seat or the steering wheel. And then we don't lash out at people who get too close to the trouble or the sorrow or the pain, allowing our emotions to push them away, the very people that God may have sent to help, the very people that are there to reach out and provide for you. I want to make it practical because I, I just think it's a really big deal. I want to linger here for a second. For, and practical and personal, here's why. Because, because I think we're living in an age of outrage, church. I think, I think we so rapidly moved from whatever you want to call normal before to an age of absolute outrage all around us. It's, it's, a, it's a CPR society now. A COVID-ravaged, politically polarized, racially divided society that we live in today. And we can either be one who needs resuscitation by the Spirit of God, or we can take the resuscitation that he gives us, the CPR that he provides, and we can turn and offer that to other people in a CPR-ravaged society. Here's what I won't do. Prophet said, don't do these things. Here's some things I won't do. I won't just sit around and make up my own irrational fears to add to the army of danger already surrounding me. That just multiplies the threat and divides the solution. I won't make up my own additional irrational fears and throw them in the pot. I won't sit online for four hours reading and listening to conspiracy theories and getting just imbibing of them and consuming them and digesting them and then close my computer and walk to bed and pray. Now I lay my head down to, how's it go? Now I lay my head down. No, now I lay me down to sleep. The Lord, my soul, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I could even say the prayer, it would probably be helpful. You, you didn't mean that prayer. You just gave your peace, your rest, and your slumber to demons for four hours. And then you prayed a pithy prayer and said, God, I, I hope I sleep well tonight. I won't do it. I won't minimize the suffering of others because my opinion says so. All the suffering, the heartbreak, the tragedy. I'm not going to minimize their suffering because I've got a different idea about how things should be in today's world. I won't get on the socials and add my two cents of either frantic panic or pent up rage in the comments. I won't let fear have my focus, my gaze, my vision. My vision, I will aim and train at Jesus Christ no matter what the circumstances around. Look at verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You gotta hear the servant be like, yeah, right, dude. You suck at math. You would have failed basic math. I'm counting. I've counted 18,000 times already. And there's 18,000 of them. And there's me and there's you. And you're ancient and you can't fight. Look at the eyes that Elisha sees with. 
followers of Jesus, listen, followers of Jesus, seeking spiritual insight. Here's where our vision gets cloudy and blind. Here's the problem deep down where it counts. You have to reckon with your sinful predisposition to trust in you and your way more than you trust in God and God's way for you. That's the core issue. Elisha's like, there's actually more. There is, there's more for us than what you see, than what the naked eye beholds. We so often doubt God's sincere goodness for us and have yet to learn to live out of the depth of his utter, total, absolute, awesome, atmospheric love for you, church. This is what I want you to hear today. Those who are with us are more. That is to say, this is God's way for you all the time, even when you don't feel it, he's working. We sang that earlier. We believe that all the time, even when you don't see it with your physical eyes, God is working and he is doing something. Sometimes when we see the least, God is actually doing the most around you. And to cry out, give me, Give me your, your, your spiritual eyes, God. Open the eyes of my heart so that I can see what you are doing. This is transformative. This will change every room and every environment that you walk into. But you got to go here. Otherwise, you fixate on those who are with them. Your eyesight is trained and aimed at those who are with them and you become obsessive and compulsive about the enemy, not even realizing that the enemy in this context is really your own way and your own thought about your best interest. It's fixing your gaze on your way and on your strength, which is your real enemy, friends. It'll beset you, it'll wreck your peace. It'll wreck life. It'll get you to believe you need to make and then take the way forward that you create instead of what God is ready to provide for you. And until you correct this mindset and you change your mind about God's goodness for you, you're gonna stay dark and blind and scared until you are convinced of the goodness of God. You can't release the fear and follow his path to real life. You're human Eyesight will keep you from seeing Jesus' way. And so here's the deal. Again, very practically. Your view of sexuality stays superior to his view of sexuality. Your view of your career stays superior to his. Your view of your marriage is better than his. Your view of money and finances stays superior to his, your view of education is superior to his. It just goes on. Your view of your identity trumps God's identity for you. Because you don't, you don't trust. You think I'm going to solve it my way, God, because my ways are superior. Because I suspect your goodness, I doubt your power, and I trust my God. But I want, I want to, I'm here to declare, listen to this. You can change your mind about Jesus, about who Jesus is, and Jesus can open your heart, your eyes to see a different way. We, we cannot change our own heart, church. The scriptures tell us that, and I've tried it, it doesn't work. 
Sometimes we try to change our own heart. God's like, no, 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 change your mind about who I am and I'll change your heart. I've got the power to do that in a different way. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Prophecy is not, listen to what prophecy is not. It is not predicting the future. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is seeing what's true and knowing what's real with God's eyes. That's prophecy. And that, once we see what's real and know what's true, that begets faith. Faith then acts on what's true and real. We take action when we really start to grow that mustard seed of faith. When we believe what God says is real, when we believe what God says is true, that causes us to take steps of actions away from our way and into his way. Morgan said it this way, a theologian that I really like. He said, faith is never the imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. Listen, I'm gonna sum this up. Faith isn't, Here's what faith isn't. It's not a God lever that I pull to get out of trouble or escape my problems. That's not what faith is. It's not rubbing a genie in a bottle. It's not pulling the handle on a kegerator. It's not popping more pills out of a prescription. That's not what faith is. Faith is a lens that I look through to put trouble in the right perspective, the God perspective. That's what faith is. That's what'll change everything about your life. And he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant finally saw God's love in living color and God's perspective in an array of splendor. Spiritual eyesight into Jesus' goodness, church, it enlarges your view to see above and beyond the army that surrounds you to the army of God's love surrounding your problems and your enemies. Your gaze moves off them to his love. David said it this way about God's love. He said, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. Church, if, if you can hear this, listen to what this means in, in, in the context of modern science. The speed of light is 186 miles in a second. For context, that is six times around the earth in that amount of time. Six times. That's the speed of light. Another context we'll give you here. Light makes it from the surface of the sun to the earth in eight seconds. Okay? Light travels in one year 5.8 trillion miles. Starting to get a little incomprehensible. The edge of our universe from earth as high as the heavens are above the earth. The edge of our universe from the earth is 15.5 billion light years beyond us. Light years. God is, is giving us a nearly immeasurable scope. I mean, the incomprehensibility is saying, I, I need you to understand the vastness of my love for you. The un 
unending measure that I will go to for you. Do not miss this. Ephesians said it this way. Paul said in Ephesians 3, 17, he said, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Church, what if, what if you really started to live like this? Like the total all-encompassing enormous love of God filled every nook and cranny of your vision, every interaction, every moment with people, every moment by yourself. What would life look like if you started living as if God's love, look how wide in the story, look how wide it is. 10,000 upon 10,000 angels surrounding every square inch of this planet, working on behalf of those who know him and love him and are called according to his good purposes. If you follow Jesus, that's a promise for you today. Look, we're not talking about a situation where Elisha and God got together ahead of time and they're like, you know what we should do? We should stage the mountain. Let's bring our army and we'll put it on the mountain so that you, I can open the servant's eyes and he'll, he'll see the angels and he'll see the fire. And then, but dude, we gotta get down to Dallas, Texas because there's another person down in Dallas, Texas that needs to actually see the army. That's not what's going on here. These angels, the, the love of God, uh, cover the globe. They encompass because he's working, because he loves us that much. They were ready when the servant got spiritual eyesight. They were already there the whole time. You're not convinced? Still not convinced? Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 1, 18. He st- Paul's an incredibly articulate writer, wrote a ton of the New Testament. This guy's like, He's the best of the best at explaining and communicating and getting people to understand. Look at how he says he stops in the middle of the first chapter of Ephesians. I can't even write it anymore. I got to tell you what I'm praying for. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I, you want to know about God's love? I've I, I, I got to tell you, you got to feel the crushing weight of it. It's so enormous, it's so extraordinary, it's so beyond my ability even to articulate that I'm telling you, pray for it. Ask God for it, it's incredible. There's a passage in Psalms, listen to this passage from Psalm 34, seven through 10, it says, the angel of the Lord encamped around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saint, for those who seek the Lord lack nothing. What if... What if you truly decided to believe that this week? Really seriously believe it today and this week? What if you saw 
that over every rejected job application, these angels hovered. What if, what if you thought, man, my career is not going anywhere, and I'm, instead of fixing your eyes narrowly and desperately on that, what if, you, what if you were willing to raise your gaze and look beyond that to think about the, the purpose in a career, maybe a totally different career that God has for you? What if, what if you saw today that over every broken relationship in your life, these angels dwelt and they're ready for your eyesight to change, to spiritual eyesight, to see them ready to work? What would you do? What kind of trust would that create in you? What if you saw over every accident and harm and pain and sorrow, these angels are busy. God's love ready to reach you. What, what if you saw over just your family members, just your family members, that th these angels rush and churn and they shout encouragement to one another based on your prayers for those family members? I, I, I so this week I just was like, God, show us what this looks like. What might this be like, God, if we really believe this? And I want you to watch this video, um, I spent hours watching these videos of people who are formerly colorblind. They'd never seen color before, like most of us see color. And their family got them these glasses. Check out what this looks like as people see color for the first time. I just, I think the servant, I think the servant was just like this 66-year-old, I did some research on this guy, 66-year-old grandpa, bodybuilder, could you tell? <laughs> that had never seen color. I don't know the last time I saw a 66-year-old bodybuilder go. <laughs> Church, this, this is the spiritual eyesight that God wants to give you today. But in order to see it, you have got to, to change your mind about how extraordinarily he loves you and what he is ready to do in the situations around you. And you have to ask him for it. This can't be just a pithy, sort of blithe, trite prayer you toss to heaven. This has got to be a focused initiative to say, God, I want to see with your eyes. I want you to change my perspective. I want you to give me eyes that see in living color your way and your work. This is the eyesight that your father in heaven wants to give you. Even when you don't know so, you'll be able to rest in the reality that God says so. And God sees that situation. We're going to wrap up with a, a summation of what happens from here, right? They, they've got the enemy. The enemy's beat. The enemy's done. The servant is like, just take him out. I mean, can you imagine how giddy he is? Elisha, just take him out. But remember, Jesus 
will fulfill in substance what Elisha did in shadow. So here's the situation. Elisha asks God, he says, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't, don't take him out. Our enemies that came to destroy us. No, no, don't do that. God, God, would you actually, would you blind them? Read, read the story. Read the rest of it later today. Would you blind them? Would you give them delusions? And then he leads the entire army of Aram straight into the capital city of Israel. They are now surrounded the army of Aram surrounded by the army of Israel. I mean, it's original Trojan horse type stuff right here in reverse. And there they are. They're sitting ducks. And Elisha says, God, would you give them eyesight? And they wake up. They come out of their stupor to see that they are toast, the army of Aram. And the king of Israel is like, oh, yeah. Can I kill him? Let's kill him. Let's kill them all. We got him. But these same angels and power of God and love of God in the vast expanse of the sky, those are the same angels that Jesus saw as he hung on a cross and died for you and I. That, in a, that, it, that, that fast, he could have said, come, get me down off here. I want to be done. This isn't how God's eyesight works out when we start to have spiritual gaze. So instead, Elisha takes the entire army of Iran that are beat, they're surrendered. He says to the king, how do you treat people that surrender to you? Do you kill them? And he offers them mercy. Not only mercy. He says he prepares a feast for the army of Iran. Feeds them, waters them, celebrates with them, and sends them home. And the last line, the last sentence is, so the bands from Iran stopped raiding Israel's territory. Jesus' mercy, church, turns problems and enemies into opportunities and followers of him. When, when you wake up and you do not know what to do with the problems surrounding you, if you'll gain his eyesight, if you'll ask him for his eyesight, those problems will become opportunities that God can use to expand his kingdom, to do good things with the purposes of your life, to change enemies, literal enemies, into followers of Jesus. If we love him and we reflect him and refract his light to the world around us. But to do that, we have to change our gaze. So I'm going to end here with this line, again, I hope you wrote it down. Spiritual sight, vision with the eyes of our heart is 10,000 times more important than physical vision. So what I'm gonna ask of you today and this week, I want you to pray. I want you to pray and pray and pray consistently and persistently. I want you to pray to the point of annoyance to the point that you think you might be annoying God. And I want you to ask for a different lens, a different view that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart to see everything around you, each moment, each person, each situation, each trouble, each pain, each sorrow, each problem, the way God sees those things and the way he sees you. This week. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for your enormous, incomprehensible 
nearly unimaginable love, the width and breadth, the limitlessness of it. God, give us sight to see in the situations we're going to encounter this afternoon that feel like, man, I went to bed and things were good, and then I woke up, things were different. God, in that space of what do I do, help us to see you. Help us to allow you to transform everything under our gaze to a different vision, your vision, your way, your eyes. I pray these things in Jesus' name and his power. Amen. Our prayer team will be up here if you want to pray. You're dismissed. See you next week.